Good morning. My name is Ryan Schreckengast, and I am one of the preachers here at GFC. And the other day, my wife Steph asked me to go to Meyer Dairy, which is our local dairy, uh, to pick up uh, some new milk bottles after I finished my day of work at school. Uh, I brought the bottles that needed to be refilled. I brought cash because they don't accept credit cards. Uh, and I even texted her after work and said, hey, I'm on my way to the dairy to pick up the milk. At which point, I got into my car and promptly drove in the opposite direction from the dairy back towards my house. And I realized about halfway home that, no, what am I doing? I'm I'm supposed to go that way. And I turned around uh, and I drove and, and did the errand. And have you ever done that same kind of thing? Have you ever gotten into your car uh, and just started driving in whatever direction you are most familiar with. Ra- raise your hand if you've done that. Oh, yeah, that's a lot of hands. Okay. Uh, so isn't it true that even if you know where you want to go, the habit of repetition just takes over and you start following a familiar pattern? So far in the book of Luke, Jesus has been teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God and the salvation that comes through faith. And at least on the surface, the disciples know that God's kingdom is different. But it's even easier to fall into familiar patterns of thought and familiar patterns of belief than it is to fall into familiar habits of driving. And so Jesus reminds his disciples in these verses of three fundamental truths about the kingdom of God. And you'll see those on your outline. First, in the kingdom of God, his dominion comes through apparent defeat. Second, in the kingdom of God, greatness comes through association. And third, in the kingdom of God, his followers are those who are united in submission to him. And it's absolutely essential that they get these things right because jesus is preparing to send them out to operate in his name as he sets his face toward jerusalem and his death in the next few weeks we will hear about this shift of focus so this morning as we read luke 9 43 through 50 which is on page 815 if you picked up one of the church bibles in the lobby Jesus is calling his disciples and he is calling us not to be complacent, not to let the familiar habits that we are so comfortable with drive us to miss what we must understand to operate in God's kingdom. So let's start by reading Luke 9, 43 through 45 and see Jesus take a dramatic shift and challenge his disciples expectations, their habits about what dominion in the kingdom of God looks like. And all were astonished at the majesty of God. But while they were all marveling at everything he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, let these words sink into your ears. The son of man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was concealed from them, 
so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him anything about this saying. So in these verses, we see that in God's kingdom, dominion comes through apparent defeat. And to understand these verses, we need two important points of context. The first is from the previous few verses in Luke. And the second is from the prophet Daniel. In verse 43, we see that the saying Jesus is about to make is done in the context of the disciples marveling at everything he was doing. So, what was he doing? Well, in verse 40 and 42, Jesus did what the disciples themselves could not do, which was to free a boy of an unclean spirit and to give him back to his father. And that story is set within the even larger context of Jesus returning down from the mountain after appearing before his disciples in glory along with Moses and Elijah. So when the disciples are astonished at the majesty of God and they're marveling at everything he was doing, friends, this is not just another Tuesday. Even for Jesus, this is the kind of stuff that changes your life. This is exactly the kind of power and majesty that would have confirmed Jesus as the Son of Man. Which brings us to the second point of context. Who is the Son of Man? Well, there are references to the Son of Man in the Psalms, and there are lots through Ezekiel. But the title that Jesus is claiming and referring to here uh, comes from Daniel 7, verses 13 through 14. And that will be on the screen. I saw in the night visions. And behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. This is what Jesus means when he refers to the title Son of Man in verse 44. The one who will receive absolute power and dominion and an eternal kingdom directly from the hand of the ancient of days, from God himself. But how Jesus concludes this saying was a whiplash-inducing shift that would have been utterly devastating in the context of that day. Look again at verse 44. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. How can the glorious, powerful Son of Man be handed over, be made subject to the powers of men. That would mean complete defeat. That would mean that the most powerful being has been subjected to the least powerful. 
That would mean abject humiliation. And in a very real sense, the thing on which all of mankind's hopes have been pinned has failed. This would be like being told in the 30s that the entire U.S. economy has collapsed. And that all of your savings that you had hoped in was just gone. Irrecoverable. Or it would be like being told that we live in a universe where Superman could actually be defeated by Batman. (laughs) It's inconceivable. So I think that it was actually a great mercy in verse 45 that the implications of this saying that Jesus just made were concealed from the disciples for the time being. It very well could have destroyed them. And yet Jesus says, let these words sink into your ears. He wants them to get this truth right. Maybe not in the moment, but definitely in the days and weeks and years to come. So let's consider what is this amazing truth What did Jesus actually say when he made this saying? Friends, the Son of Man received from the Ancient of Days every last ounce of glory and dominion that Daniel saw in his vision. But he obtained that glorification through apparent defeat. It looked like He died. And he did. But he was also glorified. And this is the great truth of the gospel. That Jesus Christ suffered and died. But in so doing, he was raised again to take his place at the right hand of the Father. Last week, Dan read Philippians 2, 6 through 8 to us. Which was about Jesus' humility despite his majesty. And I want to pick up those verses where he left off and read Philippians 2, 8 through 10 to you. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, which means because of this, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. His defeat was his glorification. His defeat was his glorification. It was him receiving dominion over all nations and peoples from the hand of the Ancient of Days. So friends, what does this mean for us? It means that in God's kingdom, even apparent defeat serves his dominion. The disciples are about to be sent out into the world. And Jesus knows that there is about to be a clash of kingdoms. They are being sent into an earthly kingdom 
to bring a godly one. And as they serve the kingdom of God, they will be faced by earthly defeat. So they must know that this is how God's kingdom works. You must know that this is how God's kingdom works. There is no power, either earthly or spiritual or even death itself, that can take from Jesus the dominion that he has received from God the Father. Friends, in God's kingdom, God is king. And that means that when you are rejected by your family, when you share these truths with them, Jesus has dominion. That means that when your body sickens with cancers and all manner of the curse of the fallen world, friends, Jesus has dominion. That means that when sin only seems to grow and to gain power, both in this world at large and in your life specifically, Jesus has dominion. Do not be fooled by the appearances of this world, by social media or by the news or by fear-driven panic. Friends, Jesus has dominion. So for those of you who have committed to follow Jesus to the end, even when you do not understand, even when it is hidden, what he is saying, take great hope in this. Things are not what they seem. And for those of you who have not decided to follow Jesus, that he is the one worthy of your allegiance yet, be warned of this. Things are not what they seem. Just because you have avoided the apparent consequences of service to your own kingdom, for now, know that Jesus has dominion. And one day he will claim what is rightfully his. Jesus has been given the right that every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And he received it. By facing his apparent defeat. And that really is quite scary, honestly. It's difficult to understand at a heart level that God's kingdom is fundamentally different. So in the next section, we'll see that the disciples do what most of us do when we're scared. They start an argument. They argue about who has the highest status. The most glory among the kingdom of God. This truth is still hidden from them. So they fall into the familiar pattern. They behave according not to a godly kingdom, but to an earthly kingdom. But Jesus, in his love, uses even their argument to reveal the second great truth about how the kingdom of God is glorified. Read with me Luke 9, 46 through 48, and see that greatness in the kingdom of God comes through association. An argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, 
knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child and put him by his side and said to them, whoever receives this child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, he who is least among you all, is the one who is great. So in these verses we see that in the kingdom of God, greatness comes through association. In their fear and lack of understanding, the disciples fall right back into old habits. Right back into the habits of an earthly kingdom. Habits of listening to their hearts. They start by comparing their positions among one another. But verse 47 starts, But Jesus knowing the reasoning of their hearts. I love that. It's beautiful. Jesus sees their hearts and he knows that they are simply reasoning wrongly. There is a fundamental flaw in this argument that is happening right now. The reasoning of a fallen heart says that greatness is about comparing your best qualities to those of the people around you. And if we're honest, we're usually comparing our best qualities with the qualities of others that are less than their best, right? But Jesus shows that the greatness is not about your qualities at all. Not your best qualities and not your worst qualities. It's about the qualities of the one in whose name you are coming. He takes a child that just happened to be there. Imagine how intimidating that must have been for that random kid, right? And he says that this child, with no particular association with Jesus, or or special value among Jesus' followers, can be the greatest instrument for the kingdom of God. How? By being sent. And if this child were just to show up at the apostle's door and say to them, receive me in the name of Steve, it would be ridiculous, right? But if he showed up and he said, receive me in the name of Jesus, then the full authority and the greatness of the sender is embodied in the messenger. The greatness of this child isn't dependent on his own inherent greatness, but through his association with one who is even greater than he is. And in verse 48, Jesus takes it even a step further. He says that his own greatness, the greatness of Jesus, is based on that exact same thing, being sent. Whoever receives me, Jesus says, receives him who sent me. Receive me in the name of the one who sent me, the Son of Man, the Savior, the Chosen of God. And in the name of the one who sent him, the creator, the most high, the ancient of days, the I am. 
Jesus is promising that this child can operate with the greatness of the most high God simply by being sent in his name. Here are the disciples arguing about their own relative value to one another. Is Peter greater or Simon or Matthew or Steve? These are not the focus that Jesus wants us to have. Jesus himself says that greatness is defined by association with him and through him by association with his father. This is the fundamental truth that Jesus is teaching about how the kingdom of God works. Friends, you do not go in your own name, but in the name of Jesus. So how does this apply to us? Well, that depends on if you are a follower of Jesus or not. If you are not a follower of Jesus, then my friend, do not let the reasoning of your heart lead you astray. The first lie that your heart can tell you is that you are good enough, sufficient enough, great enough to be with a holy God. You aren't. But the second lie that your heart can tell you is that you have to somehow become good enough, sufficient enough, great enough to be with a holy God. You can't. And the third lie that your heart can tell you is that you can never be good enough, sufficient enough, great enough to be with a holy God. My friend, you can. Not through your own inherent greatness, but through association with the name of Jesus Christ. That is how you can come to God. That's how all of us come to God. And why? Because it is under God's own authority that we come. Not our own good works or our own inherent righteousness, but we come in the name of Jesus, who came in the name of the Ancient of Days. This is how we become citizens of the kingdom of God. And if you are already a citizen of that kingdom, then your application is this. Do not let the reasoning of your heart lead you astray. One lie that your heart can tell you is that you can make God greater through his association with you. I'm guilty of this one. I want to look so good before people. And sometimes I even think it's so that people will see how great God is because of how great I am. But I must remind my heart daily that there is no one who will join the kingdom of God because of the greatness of Ryan Schreckengast any more than they would join God's kingdom through the greatness of Steve. That is just absurd. And that frees me to let Jesus use even my weaknesses, my childishnesses, my failures 
For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. And the second lie that your heart can tell you is that you only have access to the power of your own name. You don't. If you love Jesus and have accepted his dominion in your life, then friends, you have been sent. You have been sent by Jesus to act in his name for the salvation of the entire world by the power of Yahweh God Almighty. That is the name that you have when you go out into the world. And so in his name, you can put your sin to death. In his name, you can await the resurrection of your body. In his name, you can take up your cross every day. Every day. And you can lay down your life for those that God has sent you to. And we do this with power. The power of his name. But we do it with humility. Because it's not in the power of our own name. And God has not just sent you. But he has sent others. Remember that yours is not the name that will be glorified. It is the name of Jesus. So let's keep reading verses 49 and 50. And see that it's through submission to this name of Jesus. That we can be united with one another. Within one godly kingdom. Despite our many differences. And we can eventually be united with a holy God. Jesus answered, or sorry, John answered, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him, because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not stop him, for the one who is not against you is for you. Here we see that the unity in the kingdom of God comes through submission to his name. And again, when faced with Jesus' hard teaching, the disciples try to fit what Jesus says into an earthly worldview. All right, Jesus, you say that he who is least among you all is the one who is great. But hold on, let's define you all. By you all, Jesus, you must mean those special ones of us who have been with you from the beginning. You can't mean them. They aren't us. They can't be us because they're them. In the reasoning of our hearts, we are so quick to assign us And them, aren't we? But friends, in God's kingdom, God is king. And so God defines who is for us 
and who is against us. Not us. He defines the enemy. Verse 50 says that the one who is not against you is for you. Which means that there are those who are against us. There is an enemy. But it's Jesus who draws that line. Not the disciples. Not you and not me. And where Jesus draws that line is laid out back one verse in verse 49. Did you see it? Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name. So we don't know who these people are. But whoever they are, Whoever these others are, they are acting in Jesus' name. The very thing that Jesus identified as the key component for greatness in his kingdom. In his name. And they were effective. They're not trying to drive out demons. They're not claiming Jesus' name inappropriately. They are driving out demons. The freedom and the salvation of the kingdom of God is being done. The will of the Father is being accomplished. And that, brothers and sisters, is what matters more than how closely they follow the disciples. Remember, Jesus is on the brink of turning all of his attention toward accomplishing his mission of salvation on the cross. In the very next verse, we will see Jesus will set his face toward Jerusalem. He is looking ahead towards his death. And so right now, he has this brief window to instruct his disciples with what they must understand to be effective in the kingdom of God. He is about to depart. And so he tells them that they need to know these truths. First truth is that in God's kingdom, dominion comes through apparent defeat. Truth two, that in God's kingdom, greatness comes through association with him. With him who sent you. And in verse three, or the third truth is that God's, in God's kingdom, the followers of Jesus are those who submit to his name. This is the mark that unifies all of us for whom Jesus is Lord. We are all submitting to his name. So have you ever wondered if someone is a Christian? Well, Jesus shows us right here what to look for. Are they effectively carrying out the will of God? And are they submitting to the name of Jesus Christ? Those are the Christians. So now that we have the them out of the way, what does this mean for us? Uh Uh-oh. How does this apply to us? Friends, we need to recognize when in our pride, we are trying to stop those who are for us. Those who are for the kingdom 
of God. This does not mean that there are many ways to God. There is only one way. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is only one way. But that is the way of Jesus Christ. Not the way of Ryan Schreckengast. Not the way of Grace Fellowship Church. Not the way of American conservatism. The way of Jesus Christ. If we are to fully support the kingdom of God, then we need to get over ourselves and submit everything to that name. Now, I absolutely love Grace Fellowship Church. I love the way that we do our Sunday service. I love the way that we do Bible studies. I love the way that we encourage our children. In fact, I'll be leading a membership class next Saturday to talk about exactly why we do those things the way that we do. Those are intentional choices that our elders have made as they've prayed and considered God's word. But our way of doing things is not the only way of doing things. There are other God-honoring churches that do things differently than us. Even those that disagree with us on certain theologies. But what they do not disagree with is the submission to the name of Jesus Christ and to his word. So how about you? When When you are tempted to belittle a church or another Christ follower because their worship band is too big or too small because their preaching is topical or their preaching is exegetical because their congregation as a whole is too old or too young. They're too poor or too rich because they pray in tongues or they don't pray in tongues. When you are tempted to label any of these churches or Christ followers as them, remember that the real question here is, are you submitting everything to the name of Jesus Christ? Are you submitting? Not, are they submitting? Because they only have one of two possibilities. Either they are submitting to his name. In which case they are for you. And they will then face God's. The results of their actions before God. Sorry. Either they, sorry, either they are not submitting to his name. In which case they will face the consequences of their actions. For their rebellion before God. Or they are submitting to his name. In which case, they are responsible for how they represent that. And that is true for each of us. It's true for you and it's true for me. We are all responsible before God for what we do in his name. 
I don't know about you, but that alone will keep my heart and my mind busy for a good while and not worrying about them. So, in these precious few verses, Jesus prepares his disciples and he prepares us with these essential truths about what it will mean to be in the kingdom of God. He is preparing to send them out to empower them in his name and the name of his father. And he has shown us that God's kingdom is in reality an inverted kingdom where he, the most powerful and holy God, allows himself to be subjected to a shameful death that he may gain dominion. It's a kingdom where we can take on greatness, not through our own great deeds, but through association with the God who sends us in his name and is infinitely greater than we are. And lastly, that his is a kingdom whereby submission to his name, we might be united with one another And ultimately, even more important, we may be united with God the Father. And friends, there is nothing greater than that unity with an almighty God through his Son, the chosen Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you uh, for for sending your Son. God, that you made a way for your kingdom to come to us. Lord, that it is not through our own ability or our own greatness, Father God, that we can join your kingdom. That we don't have to somehow generate that worthiness. But Lord, your son, because you sent him, died, was buried, was raised again, that he would be given dominion over death itself and that through him we could live as your sons and daughters forever. God, I'm humbled by that. May we all be humbled by that this week, that it is you, God, who deserves the glory and the greatness. And I pray that we would see that greatness worked out this week, uh, greatness of your name, Father God, thank you. We love you, Jesus. Amen.